0: Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. I got so much I want to share today. I won't be able to share it all. I'm not going to share it all. Sam, relax. I'm not going to share it all. You'll still be able to get to lunch. It'll be all right. But I got a lot I'm going to share with you. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I thought I was going to be talking about it last week, but then COVID struck and I didn't, but we're in this series called Dear Jesus. I know it's spelled wrong. You don't have to remind me after church. We spelled it wrong on purpose, and uh, it's all about this uh, passage in Psalm 42, a song in the Bible. I'm going to read you the first two verses of it every week, so let me read it to you today again. I uh, read it last or two weeks ago and we started the series, but Psalm 42 starting in verse 1 says this, just like the deer longs for streams of water, So I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and see the face of God? And I want you to know that in this series, this is my goal. You ready? My goal is for you to know and love Jesus better. To know and love Jesus better. To be more intimately connected with the God of the universe. Now some people might be here and they might hate that. You might hate the thought of that. They might be like, I'm not even a Christian. I don't want to hear what you got to say. Well, you came to the wrong place. No, I'm just kidding. I hope you'll just kind of sit there and like give us, entertain me. Like just entertain me today. Like would you just give me a little bit of grace and like hang in there and see if there isn't something for you of value in today too. But my goal is in this series to kind of like talk to the church. To preach to the choir a little bit. Okay. Those of you who say you're Christian, say that you're following Jesus, for us to preach to each other for a little bit during this series. and I want you to walk out of this series just more in love with your God. To know what it really is like to pant for Him, to long for Him like a thirsty deer longs for a drink from a stream. To know what it's like to want to so desperately just see Him face to face each day, to meet with Him, to get to know Him, and to be at home in heaven with Him someday. I want you to know what that's like to have that connection between you and the God of eternity to grow deeper. And that's what we're talking about. So the first week and this week, too, are all about kind of things we need to get out of the way to make that happen in the last three weeks. If you'll join us, the next three weeks will be all about like steps you can take to kind of draw closer to God. So I hope you'll kind of tune in today because it's so important. It's so important that it's talked about over and over again in the Bible, maybe more than almost any subject that comes up in the Bible. If you want to follow along with us, you can turn to Joshua chapter 24 in your Bible or on your Bible app. The verses will all be on the screen, too. But we're going to be in a couple different places. But Joshua chapter 24 is going to be kind of our primary text. And so if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can turn there now and get ready. Uh, but I want to ask you a couple questions to get started, okay? So here's, here's the questions. I don't know how this is going to go, but I just want to go do a little show of hands. doesn't make you Pentecostal if you put your hand up. So that's okay. You can raise your hand if you grew up in a Baptist church. Okay. But, uh, want to ask you a couple of questions. So raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever, ever heard of the Ten Commandments? All right. Everybody but Aaron. That's excellent. Excellent. He was too busy drinking his coffee. It's all right. Uh, he heard of them. He heard of three of them, he said. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Anybody now raise your hand if you think, now I'm not going to call anybody out, so don't get all paranoid, Brianna. I'm not going to call you out on this, all right? Raise your hand if you think you could tell me what all ten of the Ten Commandments are. Raise your hand if you think you could tell me all ten of them. Like you're all afraid you're going to get called on if you raise your hand, aren't you? Oh, well, I got a half a person. A half of one person thinks they could do it, all right? Raise your hand if you think you could tell me five of the Ten Commandments. Five of the Ten Commandments. All right, it's about half of you. About half of you. All right, so that gives me a good idea where we're at, all right? So the Ten Commandments for Aaron, because he's the only one in the room who hadn't heard of them before. The Ten Commandments... They are God's primary instructions or commandments to his people on how to live. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, he expands on all 10 of those. He gives us much more detail in the whole book of the law, which is what we call the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, or the books of the law, the Old Testament Torah, right? So, God, that's called the law. And God expands on these 10 commandments throughout those five books of the Bible. And he gives us detail. On how to live, if we're his people, this is how we ought to live, right? But those 10 statements or those 10 commands are his primary treatise on how we should live as his people, okay? And, and, and most people have heard of it, and, and lots of people know at least some of them, right? Let's see if we can list them all off together. And I'm going to ask you as we do it kind of how good you think you're doing at keeping the 10 commandments. Okay? I don't know how good you think you're doing at keeping them? or not keeping them, probably Aaron, probably not, because he didn't know what they are, so, but uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, Aaron knows, he's gonna be upset if I don't, so let's see if we can do it together, all right, so uh, anybody think they know what the first commandment is, first commandment, oh, wait a second, we got some Christian college grads here, go ahead, Christian college, I'm sure they taught that in school, go ahead, Uh, you see what he did, he started that puppy off, KJV, and then he knew I was going to like call him out on it, so he went like NKJV on us. You see that? So yeah. Yeah, you're not supposed to have any other gods but God. Is that right? Thou shalt have no other gods. Right? That's commandment number one. All right, commandment number two is closely linked to commandment number one. Anybody think they know what it is? Aaron. Oh, Aaron's going to prove himself worthy. You ready? All right, he failed. He failed. Yeah, he failed. That's see Brianna. When he gives the wrong answer, I want you to poke him, all right? He wants you to poke him, all right, that's good, yeah, all right. That was a good answer, that's a good answer, that's just not the right answer, but it's a good answer, all right, it's like, it's like a family feud, it's all, everything's a good answer, all right. So uh, yeah, don't have any other gods but God, commandment number two, anybody else want to take a stab at it? Don't have idols. Oh, thou shalt have no idols, All right, I'm going thou shalt not on all these, E. am not going gonna, gonna to go, we're going strict 1611. KJV on this stuff, already. Thou shalt not have any other, any idols. Don't make for yourself an idol out of wood or any other substance, a likeness of me to worship, right? You shall not worship them. All right, commandment number three, anybody got it? Is anybody cheating? Is somebody cheating right now looking them up? That's okay, you're allowed to cheat. That's all right, I'm just saying. Bree, what do you got? Oh, I thought you had heartburn. So she went like that. She had heartburn. All right, that's heartburn. That's not a commandment, but all right, anybody? Number three, number three, what do you got? Yeah, don't use God's name in a worthless way, or thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? Is that right? Okay, so don't use God's name in a worthless way. How about number four? Anybody got number four? This is the one that people in churches today think, like, I don't have to do that one. It's not really a good one for today. What's number four? Nobody thinks they have to do that one anymore. I'm going to call you out on that one today. Are uh, you going to answer all of them? Well, you're such a brown noser. All right, go ahead. There's no prize for this, all right? It's just, I mean, okay. Just street cred is all you get for it. All right, go ahead. Yeah, remember? Are you looking at the boards? Opie flashing one on the screen or something? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. How about number five? Number five is the transition commandments, where we switch from all the ones about God to all the ones about people. Anybody know number five? Number five, the one that you should be doing every day. Yeah, honor your mom and dad, right? Yeah, we should be doing that one all the time. How about number six? Anybody got number six? I got six, number six. This is the one everybody in the room should have the easiest time not doing. I not yeah, I shall not kill. I shall not murder. All right. All right how about number seven? Anybody got seven? All right. We'll go with that. Yeah, you're not supposed to steal. How about number eight? What was that? Yeah, don't lie. How about number nine? What was that? Oh, we missed that one, I think, yeah. Number nine, we're going to go out of order on these. But number nine, we're going to go, no, don't commit adultery. Right? How about number 10? Thou shalt not covet. Shalt not covet. Yeah, all right. Covet means want what other people got. Got it? You're not supposed to want what other people got, whether it's their wife or their horses or whatever. Yeah, you know, so. All right. All 10 of them. So let me ask you a rhetorical question. You don't have to shout it out. Just answer honestly for yourself. How are you doing at obeying the Ten Commandments? How do you think you do at obeying the Ten Commandments? And I was listening to a story this week from uh, Kyle Eidelman, a pastor up in, uh, where's he a pastor at? Louisville, I think, right? Louisville? Yeah, Louisville. Southeast Christian Church. Oh, I'm sorry, not not in Louisville. In, in <clears throat> Louisville. Louisville. I don't know why you guys say it like you're throwing something up around here, but that's the way they say it. So I'm going to say it like that. So he's a pastor up in Louisville, all right? And, uh, and so I was listening to him tell a story this week about his daughter who when she was nine years old, memorized the Ten Commandments. And she was so proud of herself for having memorized them that she wanted to recite them to her dad. And so he goes into her bedroom, and she starts to recite them all, and she gets to the end at them, and he thinks, well, this could be like a teachable moment for me to teach my daughter something, you know. So he says to her, uh, let me ask you, honey, how, how do you think you're doing it, keeping the Ten Commandments? Have, have you ever broken one of the commandments? And he looked at her, and he said her, her face was kind of like bewildered, like she knew she had broken some, but didn't really want to say, because you know how none of us really want to admit that we do anything wrong, you know? And so he finally said, uh, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever lied? And he said, she put her head down. She said, yeah. And then he said, have you ever not obeyed your mom and dad? And they both knew the answer to that one, you know? And so she said, yeah. And He could see like her heart sinking down. And, and, then, and he said, she looked at him and then she said, Before we go any further, Dad, I just want to stop you right there. I don't know how good I'm doing at keeping the Ten Commandments, but I know one commandment that I've never broken. I've never made an idol out of wood or any other material to worship. And he said, I didn't have the heart to tell her what we're about to talk about today. He said, I didn't have the heart to tell her that there's a good chance that's the commandment she's broken the most. So the question I want to ask you guys today before we get into the teaching is this. What if the commandment you think you do the best at is actually the one you do the worst at? What if the commandment you think you break the least is actually the commandment from God that you break the most? Would you want to know? Would it make a difference in your life? Would you care? A.B. Simpson, who is the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance denomination, said this many years ago. He said, as long as you want anything very much, especially more than you want God, it is an idol. What I want to talk with you about today, I called no contenders. And I need you to know that God will not tolerate any contenders in his relationship with you. I was telling Stephanie this morning, I feel like something in my preaching has changed in the last couple years. And I feel like if I think back on my preaching like two, three, four, five years ago, I feel like I often walked away thinking like, man, I hammered grace today. Like I hammered it. If anybody walked out of the room today and didn't know that God loves them, didn't know that God wants a relationship with them, didn't know that God will forgive anything they've done, then they just weren't listening. So I feel like it came up every week. And I told Stephanie, it's like, I don't feel like that anymore. It's like, I don't know if, like, uh, my, my heart has changed or, or if God's just, like, led me to different passages the last few years or if circumstances are just so different now. But for whatever reason, I, I feel like the message that needs to be heard more often by us now as a church is like, oh, what are we doing like we're telling everybody we love Jesus, but look at us. Where are we on this like, journey of faith? What, where's our commitment? Where's our heart in the thing? Where, where's our allegiance to our Savior? Sometimes I feel bad about that. I, I go home and I'll be like, beat myself up. I'll be like, man, I was like hard on people today. But sometimes we need that. I wish there was a way around that today. But when I come to these commandments from God, there's no other way to say it than like, He expects a certain standard from me. He expects a certain allegiance. He expects a certain commitment, and He won't share my attention with anybody else. And I hate that. I wish I could come in here and tell you guys, everything's okay, go do what you want, and God will just send you a bunch of gumdrops and roses tomorrow. I wish that was the truth. But it's just not. And if we're going to know Jesus better, if we're going to be more connected with the God of the universe on a heart level, then there's got to be more to it than just like, hey, he lets me do whatever I feel like doing it. There's got to be a certain level of like, no, a self-awareness of maybe these things are idols in my life. and They need to be ripped out. Over 600 years ago, Martin Luther the great Protestant reformer who without whom we probably wouldn't even be meeting here as a church. We'd all be over at the Catholic church in town. But he wrote over 600 years ago this same idea and said you can't break any of the commandments without first breaking the commandment against idol- idolatry. That it is at the root of all other sins that we commit. That all these sins we do, they, they, they look like this fruit springing out of our life, but deep down inside at the root is idolatry. Here's my definition today for idolatry. You ready? When you replace what God is intended to be in your life with anything or anyone else. And it happens to us without us even knowing it. Without you even realizing you're doing it. Because I don't imagine any of you have little wood carvings at home you're going to go home to and bow down in front of. I don't imagine any of you are going to sacrifice an animal on an altar in your backyard and pray to it. That's not the kind of idolatry we face in America today. And that's the problem is because we all tend to think idolatry is something that takes place in the jungles in South America or in some tribe in Africa. But I didn't make anything out of ivory or I didn't carve anything out of wood. I didn't make a totem pole or I didn't put up some idol at my house. And we don't bow down to it as a family and worship it. But what if it snuck into your life in ways you don't even see? See, I think all of us have the risk each day of dethroning God and replacing Him with something else to satisfy us. Of taking what God's supposed to be in our life and substituting it out for something or someone else. And we do it without even realizing we're doing it. We do it under the guise of good things. And so I want to take you to this story in Joshua chapter 24. Let me just set the scene for you a second. Joshua is an old guy now. In fact, this is the last recorded um, words he would give to his nation as a leader. And soon after this, he would die. Maybe that day, maybe the next day, maybe weeks later, who knows. But he's 110 years old when this story takes place. He's been faithful to God his whole life. You can remember way back when Joshua was just a young guy and he went in to spy out the land God promised to give them. And he comes back, and he's one of the two spies that says, we can take it. If God says we can do it, we can do it. Whatever God says, we should obey. From that time on, he's always been on God's side, following him wholeheartedly. Here he is, 110 years old. He's been a good leader of the nation of Israel. And he gets them all together for an address. He's led them into the promised land. He's helped them conquer all the nation's that God said they would conquer to take possession of this inheritance God promised them. He's been a faithful, committed-to-God leader for decades after Moses' death. And now at 110 years old, he stands up to give kind of his farewell address as a leader. And this is what he says in verse 15 of Joshua chapter 24. Choose for yourselves today... Whom you will serve? Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We're going to dig deeper, in just a second. But I need you to remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to the heathens. You get that right? He's not talking to some foreign land. He's not talking to people who. Um, Don't know anything about God. He's talking to God's people. And he says to them, make a decision. Who you're going to serve. Is it going to be God or is it going to be someone else? Is it going to be God or is it going to be something else? And then he gives them these examples. He says, are you going to serve the same gods that your ancestors served? Doesn't sound like something we would do, does it? Are you going to serve the same gods that the Amorites serve. That doesn't sound like something we do. I don't even know where the Amorites are from. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. I want you to know I felt like that this morning. I don't care what the rest of the world does. But as for me and my family, we're going to give Jesus everything we got. No turning back. And I love that. She doesn't even know it, but like our daughter said something to me this week that was like, made me so proud, super excited. And I was like, ah, she's getting it. She's getting it. And I want you to know I'm busting it. You might love your kids as much as I love my kids, but you don't love your kids more than I love my kids. And you might pray for your kids as 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 much as I pray for my kids, but you don't pray for your kids more than I pray for my kids. And you might be trying to teach your kids God's way, as much as I'm trying to teach my kids God's way, but you're not teaching them God's way more than I'm teaching them God's way. Like, I'm going to give it all I got, whether anybody else comes with me or not, whether the world approves of it or not. I'm going to give my kids all I got, and I'm going to beg God every day, the same thing I've been begging him for over eight years now, that he would cause my children to love him more than anyone has ever loved him. You say that sounds like predetermination, predestination, election. I don't care what it sounds like. I'm begging God to rescue my kids and to cause them to love him more than anyone has ever loved him. And you can call it whatever you want, but I'm begging God for it. And Joshua stands up in front of his people, the people of God, not the heathens. He says, It's time to make a stand. It's time to make a choice. Are you going to serve the same God I'm serving? Are you going to serve the God your parents served? Or the God that the Amorites serve? And I want to teach you guys just a couple truths about idolatry today. Stuff that might have flown over our heads or we might not have been aware of or we might have missed. Can I do that? So let me give you three pieces of truth about idolatry so we can figure out if it's true or not. Did you notice when Joshua was issuing this statement to the people. He says, make this choice. Who are you going to serve? Then he lists their choices. Right? There was God. There was the gods your ancestors served. There was the gods of the people's land you're living in now. But there was one choice that was kind of conspicuously missing. Did you notice it? He never said at one point, he never said, or you could choose to worship nothing at all. Did he? Because that's the first truth I want to share with you. Everyone worships something. There is nobody that gets to sit this one out. Everybody worships something or someone. Now it might not be a person. It might be money. It might be the way you look. It might be a job or success. It might be your children. But everybody worships something. Everybody picks, chooses to give all their allegiance, their devotion, their commitment. Everybody chooses to give that to one person or one thing. And everybody chooses to run to one person or one thing to satisfy them and make them feel whole. Everybody. Nobody gets to set it out. No matter where you go in the world, if you went down to those jungles in South America that I mentioned earlier, you'd find people worshiping gods. If you went downtown Manhattan and walked around, you'd see people worshiping gods. We've been there. I've seen people worshiping gods in Manhattan. They don't call them the same gods as the people in South America. They might call them the gods of finance or the gods of success. But I guarantee you, they're worshiping something. They're giving everything they got to something. They're giving everything they have to someone, no matter where you go in the world. I don't want to take you To Exodus chapter 20, if you want to flip there, you can. But that's where God lists these commandments. And this is important because everybody worships. And worshiping nothing isn't an option that Joshua gives. It's not an option that God gives us. You're wired to worship. So flip, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read you what God says about these commands so you can see it right from his lips to our heart. Because good things tend to become these bad things that we worship. You get that, right? Like, I don't really think you're going home and bowing down to something physically. But I do think that good things become bad things when they become God things. Or here's another way to say it. If you want to write this down or take a note, here's a good way to say it. Good things can become bad things when they keep you from the best thing. Now, I think that's one of the tricks of the devil. He gets you so busy, so wrapped up, so committed to good things that they become bad things because they keep you from the best things. And it could literally be anything. So look at Exodus 20 where God lays out these commands. Let me start in verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Commandments number one and two. Why? Why is it such a big deal, God? Why can't I worship you on Sunday and then worship my career Monday to Friday? Why can't I worship you when I'm reading my Bible but do whatever I want when the game's on? Why can't I worship you when I'm trying to teach my kids something but do whatever I want when I'm out at the bar and nobody's watching? Why does it matter to God? Why does it matter to God? And The answer is the second piece of truth. Here it is. You ready? Because God is jealous for you. I know jealous isn't a word you might describe God with a lot. But God is jealous for you. What do you mean? Let me read it to you. The very next line after he tells us not to make any idols, not to worship anything other than him, the very next line in Exodus chapter 20 says this, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even the children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Do you understand what God's saying? Your choices of who you're going to serve right now impact not just you, not just your kids, but your great, great grandkids. Your choices right now impact your family tree for generations. You don't even see it. To you, it just looks like a drink or a raise or somebody to flirt with. For you, it just looks like something to eat or something to get angry about. You don't even see what it's doing because you can't even see the people it's going to affect yet. God takes all this time on the second commandment, detailing why it matters to him. He doesn't do that for all of them. He just lists a bunch of them off. Don't murder, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. But when he gets to this one, he's like, don't have any idols. Don't worship them. Don't have any other gods because I'm jealous for you. If you refuse, I won't compete. I won't tolerate it. It will not only affect you, it will affect your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not going to fight for your attention. I'm not going to compete with other gods in your life. I'm jealous for you. I love the way, God, I love the, way the NLT puts it in Exodus chapter 34. God kind of repeats this same command to his people. And listen to what he says in Exodus chapter 34. He says, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord whose very name is jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. In much the same way, no spouse would stand for their spouse going out and sleeping around on them. God won't stand for you giving your affections and allegiance to another God. He's jealous for us. He won't give us the choice of making him one of many. He insists on being the one and only. Everybody worships something, and God is jealous for you. And here's the third piece of truth I want to share with you today. You ready? It's always your choice. Did you notice that Joshua didn't say, I mandate that you serve the Lord. I demand that you get rid of your idols and you serve Lord and Him only. No, he doesn't do that. He presents it as a choice. Choose for yourselves today who you're going to serve. He's not talking to the unsaved uh, un- unknowing about God, worldly people that you'd like to think he's talking about. He's talking to church folk. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to God's children. And he's saying, make a choice who you're going to serve today. Make a choice who you're going to give your affection and allegiance to. It's your choice, it's not mandatory. The verb choice is real interesting in the Hebrew. The word there for choose that Joshua uses isn't the word that means like choose to make a one-time decision. It's in the present perfect continuous tense. So it's like it's a choice we have to make and continue to make. As if he's saying like choose this day who you'll serve. And tomorrow, choose that day who you'll serve. And tomorrow after that, choose that day who you'll serve. Choose and keep serving. And I want you to know, for me, sometimes the choice isn't day by day. Sometimes it's second by second. got to make a choice because there's so much stuff competing for my heart and wants my attention and wants my affection, stuff that is okay but just isn't the best stuff. It's not wrong to work hard. It's not wrong to love your kids. We're talking about good things that can become bad things when they take the place of the best thing. It's this continuous action we have to make over and over and over again. And I love it because Joshua tries to talk him out of it. This is what the people say back to him in verse 23. He tries to talk them out of serving the Lord. He's like, I don't think you guys can do it. You can read the whole chapter on your own if you want sometimes. He's like, I doubt you can really do it. They're like, yeah, we'll do it, Joshua's like, I, you probably can't do it. You probably don't want to serve the Lord. It's going to require everything of you. You probably can't do it. And then in verse 23, they're like, no, we can do it. This is what they say, watch. Or verse 16, the very next verse. Look, they say, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Never. Never. <laughs> never say never. You know, so don't ever say never, right? It's like they'd never abandon the Lord their God, they said. And Joshua's like, no, you probably will. He's like, and so then they come back to it in verse 23. Look what happens. Joshua says, all right then. Then go and destroy the idols among you. You get it? These aren't like clean, pretty, neat people. These are people that actually have idols. God's people. And he's like, okay, if you're only going to serve the Lord, then go destroy the idols that are among you. And turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And then the people answer him back. They said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. They're on fire. They're ready. They're committed. Okay, then go bust up your idols. Go burn them. Go get rid of them. So how do I know what they are? We' so what I want to spend the rest of the time today on. You ready? I'm going to give you six questions to ask yourself. I'm just going to r- roll these off pretty quick. If you're a note taker, you have to scribble fast, right? Or get your camera out, take a picture of the screen if you want. Let me give you six questions to ask yourself. And I know before I ask these, they're going to be hard for you to answer. You don't have to answer them out loud. I'm not going to come ask you about your answers later. It doesn't matter to me who you choose to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, whatever you pick. And I know these are hard to answer because it's hard to admit you do anything wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. I get it. Everybody feels like that. But if you'll be honest about your answer to these six questions, they'll help you identify what's an idol in your life. You ready? Can I ask them to you? Here you go. Here's the first one. What are you disappointed about? What in your life are you disappointed about right now? Because often what you're disappointed about reveals what you've been depending on to make you feel complete other than God. So what are you disappointed about? And Sometimes you're not sure what that is. Just ask yourself, what have I been complaining about? Because A lot of times your complaining reveals what your disappointments are, right? So what have I been complaining about in my life? Because that's what I'm probably disappointed about. And those disappointments probably reveal the things I've been depending on for my happiness instead of God. An idol. What are you disappointed about? Okay, question number two. What do you sacrifice your time and money for? What do you sacrifice your time and money for? Because our biggest investments are often our most sacred idols. What do you spend the most money on? What gets the most of your time each day? Your kids? Your work? I love this one. This one, whenever this comes up in a group or I'm talking to some guy about this or something, this is the answer I always get. Well, yeah, I got to work eight hours a day. What am I going to (laughs) do? Just once, just once, I'd love to have somebody come to me and tell me how they're trying to bust it to fit God into their work day instead of trying to cram Him out. Are there people if at your office that need to hear you talk about the Lord? Is there time when you're working that you can silently talk to Jesus? Are there moments in your day that are so stressful that you need to get on your knees during your lunch break and beg God with desperation for help? Why isn't God part of your work day is what I want to know. Stop defending why you have to make your work an idol and start figuring out how God can be part of every second with you. What do you give the most time and the most money to? Stephanie and I made this decision years ago now. It's been a great decision for us. And this was the decision, right? We're not going to spend more money on anything than we spend on Jesus. He's going to be the biggest number in our budget. It doesn't make us more godly. It probably makes me less godly. Because I'm so afraid of, being, of my money being my idol. That I don't want to live in a house that costs me more than I give to Jesus. And I don't want to drive a car that costs me more than I give to Jesus. And I don't want to spend more at the grocery store than I give to Jesus. I want him to be my biggest give. Not because he's impressed by it, but because I'm afraid that those other things will become my idols. And I don't want to worship my house or my car or my food or my kids or my education. I want to worship God and him alone. So what do you spend the most time and money on? What do you sacrifice the most time and money for? All right, question number three, ready? What do you worry about? What do you worry about? What you're the most scared of losing or the scared of missing out on? Are you worried about being unliked? Are you worried about being alone, about being insignificant? These things can reveal your idols because they drive us each day. What I'm worried about drives me each day. And all of a sudden, they can become my identity. You can tell a lot about somebody by looking at what they post on their social media account. You can tell what drives them. I want to be liked, I want you to like my kids. All good things. Social media has got its place. You should be super proud of your kids. You should be in love with your spouse. You should think you're pretty okay. You shouldn't be beating yourself up all the time. But you can tell a lot about yourself if you answer that question, what do I worry about? Question number four, you ready? What do you do when you need comfort? What do you do when you need comfort? Because I know some people when they need comfort, they open up God's Word and read it. But I know some people when they need comfort, they turn on their computer and find some porn. I know people when they need comfort, they text some men in their life and they say, will you pray for me? I'm really feeling uncomfortable. And I know some people when they feel uncomfortable and they need comfort in their life, they get drunk. I know some people when they need comfort, they get together with a buddy And they say, hey, I just need to talk out loud about how I'm feeling so you'll know what's going on in my life. i got to get honest. And I know some people, when they need comfort, they go to their refrigerator, and they down about seven boxes of Little Debbie snack cakes. Where do you go when you need comfort? Is it God? Or in that moment, have you taken him off the throne and replaced him with something or someone else to make you feel comfort, comfort again? You see what an idol is in our life? It's not a little wooden statue. All right, question number five. What makes you mad? What makes you mad? Because what makes you angry will often reveal the things that actually matter a lot to you. Maybe even the things that mean more to you than God. And I wonder how often I found myself angry at some small slight that somebody's done to me. And how indifferent I am to Christians who are being beheaded around the world. What's my idol? What am I concerned about? What makes me angry? I want to back up to that unique comfort one. I forgot to give you guys this. There's a book on the back table by Henry Blackaby who wrote "Experiencing God," super good devotional book back there. But in it, he's got this quote, and I wanted to share it with you. It's his definition of an idol. And this is, what he, uh, this is what he said in idol is, ready? It's anything you turn to for help instead of God. That's a, good, that's a good definition too, I like that. All right, question number six, ready? Did you get the first five? Here's question number six, ready? What do you dream about? What do you dream about? Do you dream about music, about sports, about your appearance, about work, about remodeling your house? those are all good things. Nothing wrong with any of those things. I like all those things. I like to remodel. I like music. I like sports. I love my job. I like all that stuff. But is it possible that one of those things has become more important to you than God, an idol? I mean, whose encouragement do you want the most each day? Everybody wants their boss to value them. Everybody wants their spouse to say, You're the husband or wife I've always dreamed of. Everybody wants to hear their dad say, I'm proud of you. Or their mom to say, You're doing a great job raising the kids. But do you want their approval more than you want God's approval? Is their approval what you're after each day, what you're seeking? We all want that encouragement but it can easily become an idol, something that we're seeking after, a replacement for God in our lives. What about you? Do you got any replacements for God in your life? Are you seeking after any of those things? Are you getting angry about the same things over and over? Are you dreaming about something more than you're dreaming about serving the Lord? Are you worried about losing someone or something in your life so much that it paralyzes you? Are you turning to the same old habit or sin every time you need comfort? What are you disappointed about? What are you giving all your time and money to? These are the questions we've got to get honest with ourselves about to see what we're really seeking after each day to find out if we have some idols we need to kill in our life because God won't share his attention with you. He won't compete with another God. Jesus said it this way in the New Testament in Matthew six thirty three. He said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously or live the right way that God wants you to. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And so often we put the cart before the horse and we set out trying to seek each day everything we need and then make time for the kingdom of God when it's all over. And he's saying you got to put the kingdom of God first and I'll take care of all the other stuff you need. I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. All I need is a vacation. You know, I know people that live for their vacation. But if you would just obey the Lord and rest on a Sabbath day, you wouldn't be so burned out all year. You'd be able to take vacation off the throne and put God back where he goes. And there's nothing wrong with going on vacation. You get that, right? What are you living for? What are you seeking after? Because Joshua's question still applies today. Choose this day who you will serve. The stakes are high. They couldn't be higher. Will you choose the Lord? Or are you going to choose the same God your parents worshipped, your ancestors? So I would never do that. Really? If you don't think people do that, then you're not watching our world. Because you know how many people struggle with alcoholism whose dad struggled with alcoholism? You know how many people get divorced whose parents got divorced? You know how many people are angry all the time whose parents were angry all the time? You know how many people struggle with the way they eat whose mom also struggled with the way they eat? You know how many people are out there worshiping the same unsatisfying, unfulfilling, false gods that their parents worshiped their whole lives without even knowing they were doing it? They're in the same pattern into the second and the third and the fourth generation. Suffering the consequences. Perpetuating the same mistake. Living for the same idols that their parents lived for. Oh, I would never serve the gods of the Amorites. I don't even know the Amorites. The gods of the Amorites are the place they were living. You know how many people are serving the gods of the culture they live in? Well, if the world says it's good, I ought to give it a shot. You know how many people are doing stuff just because Nike decides to spend a bunch of money promoting it? How many people are doing stuff because Michelob and Miller and Bud make it seem so awesome? You know how many people are doing stuff because all their loser friends at work are telling them to leave her? Oh, we don't worship the gods of our culture, do we? If the culture says something's right, we don't believe what they say, do we? Are you even watching what's going on in our world? That's all we do. We fall victim to the same false gods our parents did. We fall victim to the same false gods the rest of the heathens in the world are telling us to follow. And we take Jesus and we package him down to an hour on Sunday morning and say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. If you ask the average person in McCreary County, if they're a Christian, they're going to all say yes. About 95% of them will tell you yes. What does that mean? Well, I go to church every Sunday. Well, I was baptized when I was a kid. Well, I prayed some magic prayer. Don't have any other gods but me. Don't worship or serve them because I won't tolerate it. And it won't be just suffered by you. It will be suffered by your whole family. I don't like it either. I wish it wasn't in If I could rip that part out for you, I'd rip it out. But God didn't consult me when he wrote his word. So we're either in with God or we're in with some other God. And you get to choose minute after minute, day after day, God's people. You get to choose. Here's the best thing about God. Can I read you the next verse? Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. After God says, If you refuse to make me your God and you worship these other gods, I won't tolerate it because I'm jealous. And the punishment and the consequences will be felt by you and your kids to the third and fourth generation. The very next verse, this is what he says, verse 6. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I don't know about you. But I want to change my family tree. I don't want my kids to be drunks. And I don't want my kids to be hooked on porn. And I don't want my kids to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And I don't want my kids to not know the commandments of God. And I don't want my kids to grow up in a world where they think whatever CNN tells them, or whatever Fox News says, or whatever the best advertiser promotes is what I should do with my life. I want them to grow up in a world where they say, I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. As for me and my family tree, we're going to serve the Lord with everything we got. No turning back. And if I do that, the promise I get is a thousand generations of blessing. And I can only hope that 400 years from now, one of my distant relatives well, Google Ancestry.com or whatever it's called then. They'll probably tap into it some chip in their brain. And they'll see what the family tree looked like. And they're going to trace it back to me. And they'll be like, I don't know much about that guy. But man, everything I can find out about him says he loved Jesus with all he had. He didn't have to be talked in to come into coming to church. He didn't have to be begged to read his Bible. He didn't have to have somebody convince him. To tell his kids about the Lord. No, he got on his knees every day and begged God to change his family tree. No turning back. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the people in our church say. I don't care what other Christians tell me. I'm following the God of the Bible. No matter what everybody else is doing, choose today, 3SC. Choose today. You're going to keep serving the same gods your parents served? You're going to keep serving the same gods the world's serving? Or are you going to take a stand minute after minute and say, no, in this decision, at this minute, at this choice, I don't care what everybody else does, me and mine, we're serving the Lord. No turning back. And if you do, blessing for a thousand generations. Are you with me? I hope so. If you are, will you go out today and kill some idols in your life so you can come back next week ready to learn, how can I get closer to Jesus? But it's going to start right here, you going out here and killing some stuff. And there's some people in this room that need to go out of here and need to apologize to somebody that they've made their God. There's some people in here that need to go out of here and throw their computer out and trade in their smartphone for a dumb phone and go to their refrigerator and get rid of some saturated fat. There's some people in this room that need to leave here today and take a stand one minute after the next, decision after decision, over and over and over again, that no matter what I face, I'm going to serve the Lord. No turning back. Will you pray with me, dear Heavenly Father? Will you give the people in our room the courage to hear your word and to act on it, to not just be hearers, but to be doers of the word. God, I know it takes courage to end relationships that we've held on to so dearly. I know it takes effort and courage to throw out stuff that we've run to for comfort year after year, decade after decade. I know it takes courage to draw a line in the sand and say I will be committed to the Lord no matter what the rest of the world says or does. I know it takes courage. So I'm begging you today, God, that you would give the people in our room courage to not just hear your word, but to go out of here and do your word. In Jesus' name I pray.